Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. I'm Grant Percet. And we are thrilled to be back in the studio together again. It's been a while, Grant. It has been a little while. We've done interviews alone, but here we are together again. Amazing. And today we're going to have Dr. Jeff Zwierink of Reasons to Believe back on the air. He's been on the show numerous times talking about numerous different topics. He was here last time debunking the flat earth theory. That not, not to rub it in, but I got to interview him alone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so today, today we get to have him back. And we're going to be talking about his new book, Is There Life Out There? You've probably all wondered, is there life out there, extraterrestrial life? Are there aliens? Things like that. We see the movies. We hear the, the news about the searches for extraterrestrial life. And I think we're all fascinated by these things. And a lot of us as Christians wonder, what would that mean for our faith? Well, Dr. Zwierink has just written a book on it, and we're going to talk to him about it. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Zwierink, and then we'll jump right into the interview. First of all, he is an astrophysicist, which means he's smarter than both Grant and me. <laughs> <laughs> he's a research scholar and executive director of online learning at Reasons to Believe. He earned a Ph.D. in astrophysics from Iowa State University. His writing and speaking encourage people to consider the connection between Scripture's truth and scientific evidence. He's the author of Who's Afraid of the Multiverse? I'm not afraid of the multiverse. Are you afraid of the multiverse? Not yet. <laughs> and he's the co-author of the Impact Events series. He's also recently written the book that we're going to be talking to him about, Is There Life Out There? He also holds a part-time research faculty position at UCLA. Well, with all that being said, Dr. Zwierink, welcome back to The God Solution Show. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here again today. It's been a lot of fun. How are you? Yes, I'm doing well. We're doing fantastic. Thanks for taking our call and interview. Good. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Dr. Zwierink, it's Nate. Hi, Nate. How are you today? Hey, good. Hey, I'm a little bit frustrated with Grant here because I missed uh, the last time that you were on the show. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the talking and make Grant just listen. I was bragging <laughs> I got to talk to you, and he didn't. Ha, ha, ha. No, just kidding. We always enjoy having you on the show. Well, before we talk about the book, can I just ask you one really tiny question? Sure. <laughs> so in the news a few weeks ago, we heard about a neutron star collision. My wife and I had been watching a documentary on gamma ray bursts, turned off the documentary, and saw this news item. And I guess my curiosity is piqued. What do you have to say about this neutron star collision that was just uh, observed? Well, this is one of those cool things. I mean, there, there's kind of some historical perspective of what we found, and then there's just some neat stuff about the, the event itself. Is it's, uh, if you go back 100 years or so ago, um, when Einstein first developed his theory of general relativity, one of the things it said is that when massive bodies collide, they actually cause ripples in the fabric of space-time, what we call it gravitational waves. And so the way these, this neutron star merger was found, actually, was by detecting those gravitational waves. So it's really just kind of cool 
that we can find something like that. Because this was the first set of gravitational waves that weren't from luminescent black holes, but something much lighter. But there was another connection to it that when two neutron stars merge, um, scientists had thought for a long time that this would ex this was one of the explanations for these gamma ray bursts that they and they originally found these I think it was back in the 60s and 70s as they were uh, putting satellites up to monitor nuclear explosions on the Earth because they were looking for the gamma rays coming from them they actually found these bursts of gamma rays coming from out in space and it's taken us the better part of a century to figure out where do these gamma ray bursts come from? And so the fact that they found a gamma ray burst that corresponds to this merger of neutron stars says that these short duration gamma ray bursts are tied to these neutron star collisions. So that is just really kind of cool, kind of wraps up some longstanding puzzles in, in the physics community that I've been interested in working on for a number of years. That's really exciting. I heard one uh, person ask in a news article, how has something like this not wiped out life on our planet? And I thought, well, <laughs> you know, Dr. Ross has written extensively about how special our planet is in the universe. And I thought, I think we have an answer for that. You know, what's interesting is that we look back through the history of life on Earth. There are five major events where life went extinct. I mean, not completely extinct, but where major reductions in the kind of life. And as scientists have looked, one of the best explanations for one of those extinction events is actually a very large gamma ray burst. Huh. So it has happened. It just doesn't happen very frequently here on Earth. Interesting. All right. So let's get to your book, Is There Life Out There? Why did you write this book? Well, so the original impetus was about 25 years ago, scientists started finding planets outside our solar system. And that just kind of added a, a way to address this question of is there life, where now we can start asking the question, what kinds of planets are out there? Because before that, we thought there were planets out there, but the only planets we knew of were the ones here in our solar system. And so I just kind of began paying attention to what kind of planets did we find and what does that tell us about how rare or special or common our, the Earth was in our solar system. And as I began thinking, hey, there, there's a lot of different questions tied up with this. And very often it's just kind of assumed that if we find life out there, that's kind of going to mean that Christianity is all wrong. So the, the combination of finding planets to where we can actually begin to address some of that question of is there life out there, as well as this kind of pervasive idea that finding extraterrestrial life will show that Christianity is wrong. I thought, hey, I've got something to say here, and I, you know, I just want to kind of help people see that of what, what's gone on and, and what, is, what do we know and what we don't know and how do we think about all these things. Hmm. So how long has humanity been pondering life in the universe? I mean, has this been something that's been on cave drawings for years and years? Does this go back a long way, or is this more of a recent interest with humanity? You know, I, that was one of those things when I first started thinking about it. I figured, okay, once we started kind of scientifically exploring the universe, maybe using our telescopes, that that's kind of when it happened. So that put it about three or 400 years ago. Um, but what I find is that uh, you, you people who historically looked and say, how long have people been talking about this? Is they can find written documents over 2,000 two years ago of people wondering whether there was life out there or not. And so, I mean, you've got Kepler and Galileo. Galileo is a very prominent scientist who was a Christian saying, no, we're the only life in the universe. 
Kepler, who's also a very prominent scientist who was a Christian, saying, oh, no, life is abundant in the universe. You know, and so you could kind of just continually trace it back. Many of the early church fathers, you know, kind of half-jokingly say it wouldn't surprise me if we found out that uh, Adam and Eve were sitting there having arguments about whether there was life in the universe or not. So I, I think it's just something we've been talking about for as long as humanity's been around. Yeah. So why do you think people are so fascinated by this? I think there's lots of different things, but the one one big question is, you know, it kind of helps us address the question: What's our place in the cosmos? What are there other things out there like us? Are we unique? I think just that topic is very fascinating. And for like I said, for centuries and millennia, the only thing we could do was think about it and read about it uh, from various works. Whereas in the last hundred or so years, we've actually developed some tools now allow us to begin to put some data to that. So uh, it's not just, you know, we're thinking about this philosophical idea or wondering about it, but we can actually begin to test whether at least the conditions might exist where life could exist. But, I mean, we're still a long way off from figuring out whether there's actually life out there or not. But we can begin to address whether there's the conditions where it might arise. And once we can do that, eventually we can start talking about um, is there, or you know, figuring out whether uh, those places where it's, it seems conducive to life, then maybe asking the question, is there life there? So I think it just helps us understand our place in the universe. I think as a Christian, I'm excited because it helps me understand about how God has created things and whether he's created life somewhere else. And it just gives me a bigger picture of who he is. And so I'm excited about it for that reason. Right. Now, would it shake your faith? Or I guess I should ask how it would affect your Christian faith if you found out there was life on another planet. I would say at this point that it wouldn't shake my faith at all. So, you know, I think scientifically the search for life is just a fascinating question. Is there a chance there is another planet like ours? Or I guess, you know, maybe just to really kind of give you a more tough question, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think the chances are that there's another planet like ours out there? So, th- so that's, a, that's a complicated question to answer because mm. it depends on what you mean like Earth. Because I, I from a scientific perspective, I, take, or I, I think the data lines up that um, of all the things that are necessary for life, Earth is going to be pretty unique in that vein. And so when I look at life here on Earth, I see evidence of an intelligence and a creator who fashioned a place for that. Um, so when I look at how uh, planets form and other things, I think it's pretty common that we're going to find planets around other stars. I think it's pretty common that we're going to find planets the size of Earth. Um, you know, there's just lots of planets that size. There's roughly 400 billion planets the size of the Earth just in our galaxy alone. So that's kind of one for every star in the galaxy. And I think there's going to be uh, a lot of those Earth-sized planets that are in the zone where liquid water could potentially exist. And and the data has kind of borne that out, that uh, we find lots of Earth-sized planets in what looks to be the habitable zone. But the question gets a lot more complicated there because when you look at what is it that makes Earth habitable, it's got this plate tectonic cycle that effectively serves as a thermostat for the Earth to keep it at the right temperature. 
um, you know, the sun is increasing in its luminosity and the kind of atmosphere is, or the atmosphere, the gases in the atmosphere have changed such that even though the sun's luminosity is 30% brighter now than it was, you know, three or four billion years ago, the earth still houses liquid water on it. And so I think we're going to find planets that look like earth in a number of ways, but ultimately one that houses life, uh, if we find something like that, that's going to be a sign that God has created life somewhere else in the universe. Got it. Now, when we talk about uh, the habitability issue of the Earth, I know you've written on this, but a question that's always come to my mind and might be on people's minds that are listening right now is, uh, it, does life have to be the way it is here if it is in other places? Would life necessarily be carbon-based in other places? Would it necessarily require water in other places? Things like that. Well, you know, people have kind of said, well, we could we could envision life being something other than what it is here, which is carbon-based and use liquid water as a solvent. When, again, when you sit down and start looking at how this universe is constituted and you ask the question, what sorts of options are there for something other than carbon-based life? Um, the reality you find very quickly is that there's no other element like carbon. I mean, yeah. there is not another element in the universe, in the periodic table, that can form the complex chemistry that carbon can. And mm-hmm. not only that, carbon is one of the most abundant elements in the universe. And so people can talk about, well, we might be able to envision some other life based on some other type of element. But I think the burden of proof is to establish that it could work before I really give that a lot of credence. That's how optimal carbon is for the biochemistry that life requires and how optimal water is for maintaining that biochemistry. And it works out that while water is so fabulous at doing things that life requires, it has those properties just in the range of temperatures where carbon works very well. And so there's lots of things that have to work together there. And I mean, even Carl Sagan, you know, talked about this carbon chauvinism. And he says, at the end of the day, I can't get away from it. Just that's how fit carbon is for life. So people can talk about it, but I think the burden of proof is on them to demonstrate that there's some reason to take that seriously. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. So do you think there's a chance of finding human-like life out there? That, to me, is the big theological question. I I know that when we look at life here on Earth, we see evidence of God's input and God's design here, that God has fashioned a planet, a place where life could exist. He's fashioned the, the biochemistry that life works on, and he's done so in a way that he's put creatures here that can relate to him. So to me, the big theological question is, did he choose to do that somewhere else? And as I've read through Scripture, I can't find a definitive answer one way or the other. Now, I do know this, that there's other kinds of life, and there's other kinds of life. I mean, you've got the angelic realm, and so God didn't just create humanity. He's created other kinds of life. But I don't, just strictly looking at Scripture, I can't I can't tell one way or the other whether God has created life somewhere else or not. I think that's a great theological question, and if we find life out there, that'll tell us a lot about who God is, but also help us understand his message of redemption that he's revealed for us here on Earth that much better as well. 
So how would the discovery of intelligent alien life impact our understanding of the atonement? Well, again, to, to answer that question, I think we have to lay out, you know, kind of those basic principles of what it is. You know, so you've got God, who's the creator of the universe, fashions the universe, or creates the universe, fashions a place like Earth, uh, starts formless and void, built, or fashions it into a place where humanity can exist, creates humanity in his image, um, that hu- humanity rebels against God, and so we fall and we're separated. Um, God, being a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the second person of the Godhead, takes on a human nature, lives among us, atones for our sins so that we can now be forever with him in heaven. Mm. So if we find other life in the universe, how would that impact that? Well, again, this is one of the things that surprised me, is that it wasn't just when we started building telescopes and find planets outside our solar system that Christians have thought about this. Christians for hundreds of years have talked about how would this impact the atonement. And, you know, they've come up with a number of different ways that it might play out. You know, perhaps God created another race that doesn't fall. Or perhaps they fell, but their redemption message is, um, you know, that I've created this other planet where my son went and died there, and if you trust in his payment, then your sins are forgiven. Or it could be that, you know, we are created in God's image, but we don't completely reflect God's image. So maybe there are other sentient beings that reflect his image in a different way. So maybe uh, Christ takes on a Klingon nature, if you will. So there, there's different there's different ways that these other beings reflect God's image. Or, you know, it's possible that even if they fell, there's no way for them to be redeemed. You know, that's kind of what happened to the angelic realm. Or perhaps we're the only life in the universe. And so these are kind of some of the options that Christians have thought about for centuries. So this isn't a new thing, but if we find life out there, what that will tell us is more about what are some of the details about the redemption, or you know, the, God's message of redemption and atonement that uh, would be difficult to understand just by looking at what he's revealed to us here on earth. Mm. So as we kind of wrap this discussion up on this topic, um, what would you like uh, readers to take away from your book, I know that I'm taking away the idea that we don't have to be afraid of some of the options out there, whether there are aliens or not, but what's your, what are the main points, and maybe how can people get a hold of this book? If God is the creator of the universe, and it, so if he's revealed himself in creation, and he's revealed himself in scripture, that as we explore those, when we properly understand them, they're never going to disagree. And so there's a lot of people who will say, well, if we're going to think life out there, that means the natural, naturalism is right, God's wrong, Christianity's wrong, and that's just not the way it is. Um, you know, Christians have thought about, and, and the, the idea of finding life out there has not been a threat to Christianity for centuries, so I don't see why it would start being that way now. But I also I think it has kind of an evangelistic uh, aspect to it, because often I've heard, you know, that if we find life out there, and it knows nothing of God, well, doesn't that mean that, uh, wouldn't that be inconsistent with the Bible? And, and I'd have to give that line of reasoning quite a bit of credibility, because it seems like God reveals himself and he wants to be known. But on, So flip that around, though, is if we find life out there, and it does know about God in a very similar way, or a way that connects very well with what we know, isn't that pretty potent evidence that a God exists? So why would that happen in two separate places just by random processes or by natural processes? So I think even from an evangelistic standpoint, the search for life out there is really just a pretty fascinating thing. And, and then the other part is, is just to recognize that, uh, you know, I, I 
stated this a little earlier, that the search for life out there is a fascinating theological question, but it's also a really fascinating scientific question. And so let's just kind of be excited about what we're going to find, because I think anything that we learn about this creation, uh, either through God's revelation through Scripture or through God's revelation in, in the physical world, helps us understand, know, and worship Him better. So I'm just excited about what we're going to find out there, uh, even though I think there's a lot that tells us as we find those things, there's a lot that it tells us that points us really to who God is. So could I summarize with the statement that we don't need to be afraid of the multiverse or aliens? <laughs> that would be good. I, I, I just I didn't think it'd be good to name this, or two books basically the same thing. So. <laughs> I would make even a more general principle is that we don't have to fear what scientists are going to find, because if God created the universe— what we find is ultimately going to point to him when we properly understand it. And if everybody had that simple conviction, I think we'd be a lot further down the road than we are. <laughs> hey, well, talking about the multiverse, we only have you for a couple more minutes. So just real briefly, do you have any thoughts on the multiverse? I know that's a crazy question. I'm imagining you have a lot of thoughts on the multiverse, but <laughs> could you maybe tell us in a couple of minutes uh, your thoughts on the multiverse and maybe uh, why Christians don't need to be afraid of it? So, so two things I often hear again. One is that uh, there's really no scientific evidence for the multiverse, and that, that's not really an accurate statement. Um, there, the, the way I say it is that if we live in a, in a universe where inflation happened, and uh, if you read my book, Who's Afraid of the Multiverse, you'll get an understanding of what inflation is in there. But if inflation happened, the universe is far larger than what we can see, and so that, that's, one, that's one type of multiverse. But if our understanding of how inflation works is correct, there are other universes out there as well. So I think it's a pretty good bet that we live in a multiverse. Now, to me, the question is not, does a multiverse exist or not? But the question is, does a multiverse fit more comfortably within a Christian worldview, or does it fit more comfortably within a naturalistic worldview? And when you look at what multiverse research has to say, you find that a multiverse points to a beginning, and it still points to a designer. And so the multiverse, in my assessment, actually makes the case for Christianity more robust. And so that's why I don't think we have to be afraid of a multiverse, especially as Christians. So even if people are witnessing, and let's say they're using the cosmological argument, the idea that God makes sense of the beginning of the universe, and they get in a conversation with someone, and the other person brings up the multiverse, is what you're saying that we can reasonably say the multiverse does not escape or get around the beginning of the universe and therefore still requires a beginner. Do you agree with that statement? That's basically the statement. I mean, it gets a little more nuanced and sophisticated, but basically that's the point. And so, uh, you know, through most of the 1900s, uh, many scientists thought there wasn't a beginning. It wasn't until the discovery of the cosmic microwave background radiation and the space-time theorems of general relativity, where that became a pretty acceptable scientific idea. And the multiverse has done nothing to remove the idea that the universe began to exist and it points to a creator. Does that mean ever all scientists think there's a creator? No, but it is a very reasonable conclusion to draw from the research that we've done in, into the multiverse. Well, thanks so much for uh, talking with us today and sharing your thoughts. And we want to encourage the listeners to pick up the book, Is There Life Out There? by Dr. Jeff Zwierink. 
It's available on Amazon, too. Well, and if I could, I would say we also sell it on our website, reasons.org. There's a lot of different resources there, but not only are there books you can buy, but there's a lot of blogs and articles and uh, uh, interviews and video resources as well. So if you want to go to look at reasons.org, not only is the book there, but there's lots of other resources also. Awesome. I just want to thank you for the book, Why uh, Don't Who's Afraid of the, the Multiverse? Um, and I just want you to know I read it on my family vacation. I bought it at, um, gosh, Rethink Apologetics Conference in Dallas. And then okay. we went on vacation, and I just spent time reading it. My, my son was like, what are you reading? I'm like, check this out. <laughs> and so he's, he's 15. He's been smarter than me, and he wants to go into the sciences and those type of things. And he was absolutely fascinated with it. So, so seriously, thank you for your work. Well, cool. That's a good deal. I, I, would, I would encourage you to uh, have your son look at the lab. It's a program we offer, a mentoring program we offer for people who are interested in going into the sciences. So. Uh, look at that, but I appreciate the encouragement very much. Oh, thank you. I'll look into that too. Yeah. Oh, you know, well, if you're going to encourage him, I got it. I got to get in on this too. No, I, I need to tell Dr. Ross. I, I'm sure you guys don't hear stories like that all the time, but man, we hear them. You know, we we hear people. In fact, I just got another uh, another email from a guy that heard Dr. Ross on on our show, and he's a guy that uh, actually got my parents into ministry in 1983. So he's a lifelong missionary kind of guy. Yeah. And uh, now he runs a ministry that equips about 300 other missionaries for their work. And uh, he just messaged me and said he'd been kind of bogged down in a period of intense doubt. And, and uh, Dr. Ross became a huge uh, inspiration to him. And uh, he's just so thankful for his work. So you guys might not always get that kind of feedback. I'm sure you get some. But, hey, uh, good, good reminder grant to pass that on to you guys because i know that it's good for you to hear it too no and I, and I really appreciate that it is it is nice to be encouraged in that way so well thank you so much dr zwering for being on the god solution show thank you thanks i've enjoyed it Megan grant thanks mm -hmm. for inviting me on well like dr zwering told us today we don't have to worry at all about science conflicting with the lord and and with what we read in the bible the most important thing that all of this leads to is the gospel. You know, the gospel is really true that you are a sinner that needs a savior and that God himself died on the cross for your sins. He paid your penalty so that if you believe in him, you can be saved. If you've never taken that step to believe in him as savior and Lord, do that right now, I beg you. You could even verbalize it in prayer saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. Please be my savior and Lord. If you took that step today, go to godsolutionshow.com and use the contact form there to tell me about it. I'd love to encourage you in your walk with God. And while you're there, check out some of our past shows. Maybe even consider making a tax-deductible donation to keep the show on the air. You can also, again, go to thebestfacts.com where we have our apologetical acronyms and workbook and so much more. Thank you so much for listening. It's such a pleasure to be with you week after week. I hope that you'll share this show with your friends and let them know that they could tune in also and be encouraged by the God Solution just like you're encouraged. Please, share what you're hearing here with the people around you. They need this evidence. So share the evidence for your faith with those around you. And i got to plug it one more time. If you want to sharpen up on your evangelistic, apologetical presentation, Go to thebestfacts.com and click the link at the top of the page to get the Best Facts workbook so you can sharpen up in your apologetics. The reason that I like the Best Facts is it is a simple, easy-to-remember, coherent approach 
to defending your faith and dealing with doubt. It is a great apologetics tool. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give a defense. And that's exactly what this will equip you to do. This acronym is really simple. It is just two words that help you coherently defend the existence of God and the credibility of the Christian faith. B, the beginning of the universe. E, the engineering of the universe. S, standards and morality. And T, the truth of Jesus are all solid arguments for the existence of God. And then as far as why we believe the Bible, F, it foretells the future. A, it's archaeologically accurate. C, it's coherent. T, it's translated correctly. And S, there's science in the Bible that show God's fingerprints on his word. It's so simple. It's easy to remember. If you remember and memorize these acronyms, you'll be set. And you'll, you can learn how to unpack these and describe them in a lot more detail. We've also created the Tall Tales acronyms, and these are why we can reject other worldviews and materialistic and atheistic evolution. So we have the best facts and Tall Tales acronyms. Like we always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Grant Brissett. I'm Nate. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.